So Genesis 28, and I'm going to read a few verses here as you follow along to get us started this morning. Genesis 28, starting at verse 10. All right. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Does not sound very comfortable. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants and the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Father, Uh, even as I speak with you right now, Father, I think it is probably um, true that, that many of us that are here right now, even as I'm talking to you, um, it aren't aware that you're here right now that your presence is here right now and that you're not some distant deity that we're hoping that my words will reach you somewhere off in the sky. Father, I pray that as we meet here again this morning that you will continue to, to uh, teach us and uh, enable us to understand and realize and be aware of your presence and walk in the daily reality that you're with us. So, Father, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. It was just a little over 17 years ago. Not that I was born. Um, <laughs> that I heard God speak to me in one of the clearest moments I have ever experienced. I was the senior pastor of uh, a church, and one year before, um, I had turned in my resignation out of frustration. However, after having turned in my resignation, it started to bother me. 
And uh, I would say kind of coming to my senses and realizing that it was purely out of frustration and not God's direction. Um, and, and therefore, in simple words, disobedience. I was just acting out of frustration. I withdrew my resignation and continued on as the pastor of the church. During that year, we saw God work in some wonderful ways, changing broken lives, but in the meantime, continuing, continuing to open uh, Cindy and my eyes uh, to the brokenness around us in Bremerton. We were convinced and just in a, in a growing way, just uh, convinced that something had to be done about the pain on the streets of Bremerton. And yet, having all, already kind of veered out of what God wanted us to do out of frustration, we, we were in no way going to move ahead and do anything that we felt we should do until God made it absolutely clear what he wanted us to do. And so we waited. With that awareness, um, I got up, as I typically do every morning, um, and and uh, spent some quiet time with the Lord. Um, in my quiet time at that time, I was reading through the book of Ezekiel. That's in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar. One of the big ones. And I happened to be that morning in Ezekiel chapter 12. And so I'd like to read for you just a couple of verses from Ezekiel chapter 12. And this is what I got up. And just in my normal Bible reading, this is what I read. Ezekiel 12, starting at verse 1, it said, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. Therefore, Son of man, pack your belongings for exile, and in the daytime, as they watch, set out and go from where you are to another place. And it, and it goes on. As I read those words, which are very clearly God's words through Ezekiel to uh, the Jewish people, um, as I read those words, even though they were clearly God's words to Ezekiel, they were like, clearly God's words to me. Um, and as I read those words, it was like God telling me clearly, it's time to go. Um, and so that day, I turned in my resignation. Um, it was so clear that it was time to obey. And so I turned in my resignation. Two weeks later, we were without a job, without income, and yet confident that God has called us to do uh, um, what we felt he was calling us to do. Now, you gotta, you, you got to know when I'm saying what I'm saying that I'm obviously married to a very amazing lady <laughs> um, who, at the same time that I heard from God, was absolutely confident at the same time that we had heard from God and it was time to obey. We absolutely had no means of support. 
no means of income, and yet we were convinced that God had called us to do something else. But you know, as, as amazing as my wife is, and she is amazing if you've met her, um, the really amazing thing, as I was just thinking about this again, the really amazing thing is that we have a God that wants to communicate with us. That we have a God that wants to give us direction and wants to speak into our lives and wants to have conversations with us. Isn't that amazing? That the creator God of the universe who made everything and rules everything would, would be concerned enough and interested enough in us that he would speak clearly to me and tell us what he wanted us to do in order to give us absolute confidence that what we were doing was from him and he would take care of us. And the result is uh, the coffee oasis. That's what God called us to do uh, 17 years ago. Um, now, what if I had thought when I was reading Ezekiel and, and I was convinced that it was God speaking to me, what if I thought, that's silly, God doesn't... I must have heard. I must have must have had a bad burrito last night, <laughs> or uh, I must be hearing things, or I must be imagining things, or um, I mean, it's an interesting thought. If instead of being convinced that God had spoken to me, I was I wasn't convinced, and I talked myself out of it and thought, oh, that's it's an interesting thought to th think where we would be now, 17 years later. Um, last week, I talked about walking with God, and uh, I, I love the, the individuals in the Bible who are described as walking with God, um, just like a, like I talked about a lot, just like, it's like a real relationship, and that's what it is. God just wanting to walk with us and talk with us and, and communicate with us. And, and so I, I gave an assignment last week, and, um, and I just I suggested that, that you take a walk with God. And um, um, if some of you tried that, um, actually on Monday, I, I went on a drive with God. That's how I started. I, I know I didn't tell you to go on a drive, but, you know, it's okay to bend the rules a little bit. Um, and so I, <laughs> that's not, Daniel said that's bad pastoral advice, okay? <laughs> so you can decide which one you want to listen to. Anyway, <laughs> okay, uh, so, so I had to drive to, uh, to Paul's boat, so I consciously, as I drove, I I consciously drove there like God was sitting in the passenger seat with me and, and we were and I conversed with him as I drove. You know, um, I had I have to admit I was a little I was obviously more aware of what I was doing than what I normally would be, kind of at one point thinking, um, you know, I wonder if people are wondering if I'm talking to myself, you know. You don't want people to think you're, you've kind of lost it. Um, and if you went on, went on a walk with God, and if you didn't, I, I just encourage you again to do it because 
God wants us to walk through life with him. And if it seemed kind of weird to do that or awkward or, or you felt like you were talking to yourself or, um, or, or were wondering what people were thinking, it, it, it really just shows how much we have to become comfortable with the reality, the truth that God is real. And he's a real person and he wants us to experience real relationship with him. And I'm not saying to do that. You have to talk uh, while you're walking out loud. But I'm saying we need to experience in a real way um, the presence of God. So maybe it's hard for us and we struggle with practicing the presence of God. Uh, the, um, the hymn, and he walks with me and he talks with me. Uh, does that seem unreal? Does that seem mystical? Um, well, if it does, that, that's what I want. We're going to kind of follow up today with that, because if practicing the presence of God seems unreal and mystical or uncomfortable or weird or awkward to us, then we're no different than a lot of people in the Bible. And, and the need for them to, to be invaded by the presence of God to where they became, they, they came to understand that he was real and his presence was real so they could experience his presence. So what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to start with Jacob and his experience. And, and really what, what we're going to do just for a few minutes is, is I hope through these three lives, um, realize better how we can or how God intends us to experience his presence so that we can practice his presence. So, so two questions I want us to be thinking as we go through these, these lives really quickly is, number one, why do we think they didn't experience God's presence or what hindered them from experiencing God's presence? And, and at the same time, thinking about ourselves also, what, what could it be in our own lives that is hindering us from experiencing God's presence or feeling awkward or uncomfortable with the thought of practicing God's presence? So what hinders? And then number two, how can we realize his presence so that we can practice it? Um, again, I, I want us to, to think that... Um, I'll just we we were at a function last night. Um, it was a, a retirement retirement party of a friend. Um, obviously, they were a lot older than I am. Uh, and so, as we were at this retirement party, and ninety five percent of the people that were there were totally new to us, had never met them, and uh, it was really enjoyable getting to meet just a huge variety of people that we'd never met before. That all of us had in common this individual. But as I was driving home and, um, and I was thinking about our time and thinking about my sermon uh, that I was going to be sharing this morning, the thought went through my head. And, um, and it's a bit of a confession because I wish it would have gone through my head while I was there. And I wished it would be going through my head every moment of every day. 
It's, it was, what if I had been there amongst all of these people consciously communicating with God, asking God, how can I minister into the lives of these people? Instead of just talking with them and socializing with them and, and being interested about them, consciously communicating with God, God, how would you have me to minister to this person right now, these people right now, practicing the presence of God? So how can we realize his presence? The first one is Jacob uh, that I read about in Genesis 28. Uh, you know, it's a phrase where, where Jacob comes to the end of this dream. It's a very real dream. God is appearing to him. And Jacob comes to him and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Is that not reality for, for us much of the time? Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Why was Jacob, the question, first question, why was Jacob not aware of God's presence or what hindered Jacob's being aware of God's presence? And, and if I were to put one simple word to it, I would put the word pride. Pride. If, if we know anything about Jacob's life, his name captures his life. The word, the name Jacob means supplanter or literally one who grasps the heel of the person ahead of them to pull themselves up by pulling that person down. It kind of describes corporate America, right? Uh, that we pull ourselves up by pulling someone else down. And, and that captured Jacob's life. Twice, Jacob deceived his brother. He, first of all, he, he swindled his brother out of his birthright by offering his brother some lentil stew when his brother was hungry coming in from work. You know, it's a brotherly thing to do, steal his birthright when he's hungry, you know. And so he did that. And then second, he stole his brother's blessing by going in and deceiving his father, acting like he was his brother Esau. And so twice we see Jacob fulfilling the meaning of his name by by pulling himself up, by pulling his brother back. Um, I think where this came from is way back at the beginning when, when his mother was pregnant with he and his brother, they were twins, and she was struggling with what was going on, and, and God gave her a promise, a prophecy, said, and, and the essence of it is that the younger, the older would serve the younger. And so the child that came out first would serve the child that came out second. And so Esau would end up serving Jacob. Well, it's like Jacob heard that from his mother. He became kind of mama's boy, and Esau was papa's boy. And, and so his mother was constantly putting him in this, you're, you're going to be the one that's going to be the ruler. You're going to be the one that's going to be the superior. And but the problem is, instead of trusting God to accomplish his promises, Jacob took it in his own hand and, and thought that he could do it. And so Jacob's whole life was trying to fulfill that promise and pulling others back by trying to put himself forward. And as a result, Jacob had in mind that he didn't need God. He could do it. He could achieve it. 
He could become what he was supposed to become, but it was all through his own effort. He had it handled. And, and so we could say he was a totally flesh-oriented individual. In his own pride, he thought he could achieve it. And so therefore, he didn't need God. So the question is, as we think of Jacob's life, and he comes to this point where he says, surely God is in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. It's like the reason he wasn't aware of it is because he never had a need for God. He thought he had it handled. He thought he could do it. He thought he could achieve it. And his whole life was pursuing being that person who could achieve it and accomplish it on his own. The question is, as we think of Jacob's life, is it possible that you are unaware of God's presence in your life because you've always tried to accomplish things on your own? You've never acknowledged your need of God. Maybe acknowledge your need of God in order for Him to be your Savior and, and save you from your sins. But in terms of your everyday life, you're an individual who is just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to achieve it. I can handle it. And so, therefore, unaware of God's presence because you never really thought you needed Him. You've got, you had it covered. Isn't it incredible that the God of the universe offers us Himself his presence, and we opt to handle things ourselves. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I, it really struck me as I was going to, that the God of the universe offers to walk with us and direct us and commune with us and lead us, and we opt to handle things ourselves. Pride. I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, the second one is Samuel. If you want, turn to 1 Samuel 3. If, you were, if, if you're in this Bible that was handed out, it's page 187. Um, if it helps, 1 Samuel is just before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel 3. Samuel, when we come to first, he's just he's he's a young boy. He's serving in the temple under Eli, the high priest. First Samuel three one. Notice it says the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, because he's serving in the temple. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Hmm. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his, his usual place, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. This is a key verse, verse 7. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. 
the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Now finally Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Um, why was Samuel not aware of God's presence? Well, it says it here really quick, really clearly in verse, um, in verse 7. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? So I would say the number... Another reason why we can be unaware of our, um, God's presence is not just pride that we can do it ourselves and we've done it ourselves and so God's not going to intrude. Uh, but the second was, is ignorance. Ignorance. Um, and this is interesting because, you know, you compare verse 1 and verse 3, and they almost don't make sense because in verse 1 it says Samuel ministered before the Lord. He's serving the Lord every day in the temple, and yet he doesn't know the Lord. That, that's, that's really powerful. And it might be where some of us are at, what hinders us from being aware of the presence of the Lord that we know lots of information about God, we might even be serving God. But our relationship with God really isn't a relationship. We don't, really don't know Him. We just know lots about Him. We do lots of things for Him. And so we're not aware of Him as opposed to that we're doing things for Him. Um, and so often, and, and I know this a, a lot of my life, has been this where God becomes a program or a ministry as opposed to a person, a person that I'm aware of and I'm relating to. Word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And uh, because of the sins of his people, this is you know, during the time of the judges and, and everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes um, instead of what is right in God's eyes. So ignorance and why visions and word from the Lord are so rare because of the sin of his people. Um, question, is it possible that, that you're unaware of God's presence because you've confused doing stuff for God with a relationship with God? Doing stuff for God with a relationship with God? Or is it also possible that you believed a lie that God is, your ignorance could be not just understanding that a relationship with God isn't just doing stuff, but knowing Him, but also it's possible that some of your, us, our ignorance could be that we just really don't know God. And, and that God is a God that wants to communicate with us and does communicate with us. He's not kind of like some kind of uh, Christian deist God who gave us a book and then retreated to heaven. 
for us to read and obey this book, but really not have a relationship with him. Ignorance. Okay, the third one, if you flip to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we come to Paul, actually in Acts 9, he's Saul. Still, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, page 765. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Verse 1, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here's a guy who is zealous for God. He thinks he's zealous for God. We have a lot of that in our world, don't we? <laughs> People who are throughout history, have thought they were zealous for God and have killed people. I mean, it, it's happened throughout history. It's happening today. People zealous for God that are hurting other people. That was Saul. And, he, and he's confronted by this God on the way to Damascus that he thought he was so zealous for, and he finds out he doesn't even know him. Who are you? This God that he thought he was so zealous is the very God that he is hurting. I am Jesus, uh, Jesus says. Why, why was Saul, Paul, not aware of God's presence? I, I think the answer here is religion. Religion. Um, interesting, it says, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And, and thinking was doing God's will, but all he was doing was following traditions that were horribly distorted. It wasn't the truth at all. And so he was zealous for form and ritual and tradition that he thought was causing him to be zealous for God, and in fact he was hurting God. And it, it was religion. It wasn't about a relationship with God. It was pure religion. Is it possible, and this is the question, that you're unaware of God's presence because you're so caught up with form and ritual and tradition that you really don't know God or are unaware of His presence? So just to summarize, and then we're going to look at the question, how can we realize His presence from looking at these guys' lives? Could it be pride? Are you full of yourself? You really... You, you go through life and, you, and, and we call ourselves followers of Jesus and yet we function as if we really don't need Him. 
and so we're unaware of his presence. Um, ignorance, an incorrect view of God. Um, doing things for God, but, but unaware of God. Not really believing that God is a God that speaks today and communicates today. Um, sin. Like the people during Samuel's time, during the time of the judges, everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And so something between, between you and God that separates you and God and so hindered from his presence or religion. Settling for ritual or tradition instead of really knowing God. So the question is, as we kind of wrap it up here, how can we realize his presence? How can you and I realize his presence? How did they? Well, the first thing that we have to understand, if, if every one of these stories, Jacob and Samuel and Saul, it is so clear that the starting point to being aware of God's presence is God, right? Did you notice in every one of these situations, it wasn't them initiating, it was God initiating. It was God invading them. I mean, Jacob was running, afraid for his life from his brother Esau, and on his way to, to deceive his uncle Laban, he didn't know that at the time, and it was God that invaded his space and his awareness. It was God who invaded Samuel's awareness as three times he, he ran to Eli thinking it was Eli. He didn't know it was God, and yet God just kept after him, and it was Saul on the road to Damascus that God, with a bright light, knocked him off of his donkey and made him aware of God's presence. You know, this is an encouraging thing, and it should be an encouraging thing, because what it tells us is that God wants a relationship with us. God created us for a relationship, and God is invading their space and their awareness in a way that they wouldn't have initiated it themselves. It's kind of like a, a king. Um, we're not much into kings and queens around here in our United States of America, but... Um, unless you're from British ancestry or something. Uh, but I'm assuming that if you, you live in England or one of those countries that still likes kings and queens, mm -hmm. that you probably couldn't just bop into Buckingham Palace, you know, show up unannounced and say, hey, I'm here and just thought I'd check in on you. Uh, it's not the way it works. It has to be at the initiation or the invitation of the, the royalty, right? And how much more with the king of the universe? But the good news is, is, is that we have an open invitation because he initiates it and he wants it and it's what he created us for. It's wide open. It's wide open to come into his presence and, and be in his presence and be aware of his presence and walk with him and talk with him. So how, how do we respond to this wide-open invitation? There's two things that I see in these individuals' lives and God invading their presence. And the first one is we've got to be hungry. Hungry. Uh, there, there's a, uh, in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God isn't about revealing himself to apathetic people. It's just that simple. 
God isn't about revealing himself to individuals that say, yeah, I'll give you a try, God. <laughs> or, yeah, if I can work into my schedule between 3 and 3.30 today, I'll, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's kind of how we treat God, the God of the universe, isn't it? Um, hungry. In Matthew eleven twelve, it says that violent people will take the kingdom of heaven by force. I mean, people that want it and want him and go after him. And as we look at all three of these lives, we don't, we don't necessarily see them as individuals that are passionate in their pursuit of God, but we see people that are passionate. And that's the kind of people that God is looking for, people that are passionate and are violent and are hungry. And because God has created this eternity in our heart, there's this God-shaped vacuum in our heart. And, and even a Jacob who is passionately pursuing the blessing in his own way is passionately pursuing it. He just doesn't know how to do it. And God likes that. He likes passionate people, not apathetic people. Passionate people, hungry people. And that's what we see about all. We see about Samuel who just keeps going back as God he just keeps going back to Eli. And we see Saul in his murderous threats. He's, he thinks he's zealous for God. He, God is, we've got to be hungry. Are you hungry this morning? Maybe, maybe you're hungry to make money. Because you think that is what will satisfy you. But, you know, if that hunger is what God can take and redirect as if you're willing in your hungriness to recognize that, that money won't satisfy or a position or, or what you're so passionately pursuing won't satisfy, that it's only God that can satisfy. But you've got to be hungry. If you're apathetic and you could take it or leave it this morning, if, if, if it, God's presence isn't that important to you, if you want, if you want Him, hungry. That's the first thing. And I see it about these guys. They were hunger, hungry. But the second thing, and they, they have to go together, you got to be hungry. We have to be hungry. Uh, is that we got to be, there's got to be a humility. Humility. Um, and as we see God invading each one of their lives, that's what we see. We see people that are brought eventually to the end of themselves so that they can experience God's presence. With Jacob, it doesn't happen in Genesis 28. That was his first like, wow, there is a God. And he's here, and I wasn't even aware of him. But it's actually a few years later, several years later, 20 years later, where he's running again out of fear for his life again, that God meets him again. And they have a little wrestling match. And Jake, you know, Jacob, he's he is strong-willed. And he's just he he's aware that it's the angel of the Lord, God in person, that is wrestling with him, and yet is in his arrogance and his pride, he he still thinks he can conquer. And then God dislocates his hip. And from, but he still doesn't give up. He's still hungry. He's come to realize after all these years that the blessing that he's stolen and the birthright that he's stolen, the promise that he's pursuing, 
Only God can give it to him. And in his helplessness, as he's, now he's not really wrestling, but he's clinging to God. With his dislocated hip, he again says, that's that blessing that he wants, but he's not going to let go of it. And in this broken, hungry, and now humbled state, he sees God for the first time in a real way. Um, you know, Samuel, he's just this young boy, and, and, and he is humble. He's just wanting, um, and, and he keeps uh, going back to Eli, and then when Eli realizes it's the Lord, it's Samuel says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And Saul, broken and blind in Damascus, has finally come to the point to where knowing who Jesus is and humble before him, he's, he becomes a man that eventually gives his life for the Lord. Hungry and humble. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, To this one will I look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. How can we realize his presence? I, if we, only if we're hungry and willing to be humbled. So as I was thinking about wrapping this up, the phrase that came to my mind was uh, the phrase in um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe where it says, Aslan is on the move. He is. God is on the move. God is wanting and pursuing relationship with us. He wants to walk with us and talk with us and so that when I'm in a group like I was last night and I'm communing with God and communing with them, I can be used of God how he wants to use me in that situation instead of Dave just being in that situation as Dave. God is on the move. Are we aware? Are we aware? I wonder how many overwhelming circumstances that we face, and we all face them, don't we? Overwhelming circumstances. How many of the overwhelming circumstances that we face would not be overwhelming if we knew God was present. And I, I think of Elisha's servant as the town that they're in is surrounded by an enemy army and Elijah you know, is aware of it and Elijah, Elisha's servant gets up and he sees this enemy army surrounding the city and he's saying, oh, good grief, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, all calm, Lord, open his eyes. And God opens the eyes of Elisha's servant and he sees that the mountains are surrounded with the army of the Lord. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be overwhelmed about. But the difference between Elisha and his servant. How many indecisions and indecisiveness could be changed to confident action if we knew that God speaks and we can hear him and follow his direction. Okay, so a couple assignments. I'm going to give you another assignment, okay? So I'd like to encourage you again to, to go on a walk with Jesus. If, if you didn't do it, please just try it, okay? Um, and make walking with him a habit. Just 
And the point is to purposely, consciously become more aware that he's a real person that we can walk with and talk with. Um, so that was last week's assignment. Okay. Um, this week's, I got two. Number one, to help us be hungry. Okay. To help you be hungry. I want you to read Acts 1 through 14. Acts chapter 1 through 14. I just encourage you to do it. If, if reading Acts chapters 1 through 14 doesn't make you hungry, then um, I don't think anything else will because as you read those chapters, you're going to see a God who talks with people and communicates with people and heals people and sets people free. I mean, sends this angel into a prison to, to, you know, kick Peter in the side and say, come on, let's go. And Peter thinks he's dreaming. He thinks he's, you know, having hallucinations. And, and maybe that's the way it'll start with us as, as we begin to try to become more consciously aware of God. It's like, is that me? Or is that, you know, or is that God? And we're going to talk about that ahead. How do we know if it's God? Or how do we know if it's just you know, the burrito from the night before. Um, be hungry. Read Acts 1 through 14 and become hungry that this could be you and God together. And then be humble. I, as you read, I just ask that we would pray, God, make yourself as real to me as you did to those people in the book of Acts. However you would do that, God, do it to me. Just allow ourselves to be emptied and humble before God and say, God, do it again and do it in my life. Give me ears to hear. Give me eyes to see, God, that I can walk with you as you walked with them back then. Let's pray. Father, uh, Father, I want you to be that real to me, not just periodically or sporadically, but, but daily in your presence, aware of you, and practicing your presence uh, as I go through my day, uh, as I have meetings, as I have conversations. God, make yourself that real to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.